Hello and welcome. Thank you for listening to First Responder Psychological Support. I'm Sarah Gura, a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois. I am an EMDR therapist, a yoga teacher, and my practice is the self-care path in Burr Ridge where I treat first responders. This is season two, episode four, and I am calling this self-love stigma. And I would love for you to take a nice deep breath in and on your own, just go ahead and exhale and allow that to melt down. Maybe sit up nice and tall or stand tall and align the spine and really root down through your feet or your sit bones and make any adjustments that you need to so that we can listen and do this thinking together. I wanted to talk about self-love and the stigma of loving oneself because we live in a culture, of course, that is very uncertain about this idea that, of course, is very healthy and good for your mental health. But especially in the first responder world, um, to self-love is very, very much so questioned. And counseling and therapy is lame, vulnerable, it's weak, and there's a reputation for it being unhelpful or doubtably helpful and even embarrassing to engage in the process of counseling or therapy services. So in the last podcast, when I was talking about love and when I talk about love being one of the most powerful forces in the world next to gratitude, I realize that I'm telling a lot of alpha men and females, of course, too, that are working in a first responder career, something that they're not used to identifying with and something that they may not do at all, let alone do often. So um, I want to address why it may be a stigma first, which is there's, of course, the worry of being very selfish. First responders worry all the time about you know, if loving yourself or taking care of yourself is a selfish thing, which at its core is a very codependent type of problem. And once again, codependency is a self-love deficit. And it means that you deny a lot of your own needs, your wants, and your preferences so that you can help save, rescue, and protect other people. But you are worthy of that same gesture you know, of helping, saving, rescuing, and protecting. So doing that for yourself is extremely important. And again, I've mentioned this before, but the reason that I called my practice the self-care path is because I want you on a path to care for yourself and to really make a, you know, a notable difference between the idea of self-care and selfish Um, I would never encourage anyone to be selfish, but I definitely want people to focus on the idea of self-care. But again, there's this self-care, self-love stigma that I am always fighting when it comes to firefighters, law enforcement officers, dispatch, and even a lot of the emergency department nurses that I have provided treatment for. But the second thing I want to address about the self-love stigma is it seems that some of you also worry that it is about being narcissistic. 
you know, now the, the street term of narcissism is, you know, a jerkwad or some asshole. And most likely you are not a jerkwad or an asshole. The clinical definition, of course, of narcissism is um, reflected in the diagnosis of a personality disorder. So there's many different types of personality disorders. Self-love and self-care is not narcissistic. Narcissism, narcissism is a mental condition, really, of a very inflated sense of importance. You know, there's a deep need for those people to have excessive attention and admiration. They're really troubled, and they have very troubled relationships. They can lack a lot of empathy, um, which is a problem for themselves and in their relationships. Um, they can feel or be very entitled um, callous with people, they exploit people, they can be very authoritarian as opposed to authoritative. So authoritarian, think Hitler, authoritative, think of a good leader or mentor. And um, narcissists can, you know, have some aggression, even if it's just in their disdain for other people. So I'm not really worried about first responders having narcissistic personalities Per the clinical definition, I'm not saying they don't exist, but they don't exist enough that I would create a podcast about narcissistic personality disorder. So if you're worried that, you know, self-love is selfish, if you're worried that self-love is narcissistic, I'm really hoping that I can encourage you to not worry about those fears. Um, in fact, I just need you to acknowledge that you're human and that you need to promote yourself to human status and that we humans are also more complicated than the basic animal. You know, an animal on a great day has a full belly, and it's that simple. It's, you know, I have a full belly, I'm having a great day, but with a human being, um, it, there's just more to it than that. And that more to it than that is whether or not you love yourself and if you can treat yourself with respect and integrity. So... The third thing that I want to mention about this self-love stigma is you first responders <laughs> tend to not want to bother other people. I don't want to bother people with my needs, my wants, my preferences. I don't want to burden anybody. Um, so you tend to isolate. And when you think you're a burden and you isolate, I want you to realize that th those are the two of four main factors that put you at high risk for suicide. So the other two are, th you know, having a thrill-seeking edge, which most of you have, and isolating yourselves, which most of you do. I just mentioned that. Um, so what we want to make sure that we are paying attention to is that if you think that you are a burden or a bother to someone, that is not only a high risk factor, which I want to step back and say the fourth one is having access to the means to kill yourself. So actually, I want to be very clear. The four high risk factors for suicide are having the means, feeling like a burden, isolating yourself, and having a thrill-seeking edge, like you run towards danger all the time. So running towards suicide. Um, it could not be as scary as it would be to a general population member. But now that I went back, I want to go forward with the idea that you are not a bother to other people, but you need to 
make your needs known and your wants known and your preferences known first to yourself and then of course admitting them to other people and a lot of times first responders they don't speak up about their needs except for maybe in an aggressive or reactive or outbursting kind of way and then it just looks awful and everybody can misunderstand each other at that point but if you can make it a normal part of how you identify yourself like this is who I am this is what I need want and prefer and this is how I self-care or self-love for myself and I realize that I'm not for everyone so those who you know can enjoy this about me and you know make it a worthy pursuit you know in their life as well as mine then I can be mutual and reciprocate that kind of love and satisfaction or comfort and that would be a, a wonderful or beautiful way to self-love. So we have three main points here. Um, I see first responders struggling with the stigma of loving oneself because they think it's selfish. They think it's narcissistic. They don't want to bother other people um, with their needs, wants, and preferences. And all of that is what's going to get you in trouble. You know, if you want to be happy, if you want to be comfortable, if you want to retire well, if you want to have integrity and not despair, then you're going to need to learn to promote yourself to this human status and truly engage in your self-care journey, which includes love and loving the self. Now, of course, as I say that, knowing first responders, you would say, well, I'm unsure of the benefit of doing all this work, Sarah. And a little while ago, since this podcast that I'm doing right now, I posted on my Facebook page for the self-care path a meme or a little image that said, you know, marriage is difficult, divorce is difficult, choose your difficult. Um... Being healthy is difficult, but being overweight and unhealthy is also difficult. Choose your difficult. It said, you know, saving your money and being smart with money is difficult, but being poor and in debt is also difficult. So choose your difficult. Um, I want you to realize that not loving yourself is difficult. And yes, loving yourself is difficult. But again, I think the outcome or the answer to, well, what will I do or what do I want is obvious. The obvious answer is you do want to save your money. You do want to be healthy. You probably want to stay in a successful marriage um, and you probably do want to love yourself. But the fact that you are unsure of the benefit of loving yourself is a sign that you maybe haven't yet because if you did love yourself, then you wouldn't want to live without it. And I think about that all the time when I um, have talked about my mantra of love, gratitude, kindness, compassion, wisdom. It sounds like five words of bliss, right? And of happiness. It's like this little formula that, you know, I can relax into. Um, But before I had that idea, you know, I had no idea what I was missing. Now that I live this way and it is difficult and I'm not perfect at it and there's daily effort required, um, regardless of that, I still would choose it because I want to choose my difficult. So again, putting it together, you don't have to worry about this being selfish. It is not narcissistic. You are not a bother and there certainly is a benefit to choosing 
the better difficult, you know, uh, while you're on this earth as an earthling struggling in the chaotic environment that we have. And remember, your exposure to chaos is way more than the average bear. And it's not isolated like someone who is in the military where they may be, you know, in another country and then they come back. And I don't want to minimize that experience. But they're diff- it's a different experience, and I'm talking about first responders, and they often see, as you've heard me say a thousand times, human illness, death, suffering, stupidity, and property destruction in their own hometowns or very close to their own hometowns. So there isn't a whole lot of boundaries um, being set whatsoever. So another thing I want to address is that you guys seem that you're not, you're not too sure how to love all the parts of yourself. Um, And really, the step number one is that loving yourself and loving all parts of yourself requires you to notice all those parts of yourself. You have to notice them. You have to become self-aware. You have to recognize what you're seeing. Like, is this my younger self? Is this my angry self? Is this my firefighter self? Or is this my parent self or my spouse self like there's so many different roles and parts operating at once we have to take a minute to notice them all I think you know very familiar in the baby boomer generation they would talk about their inner child well my inner child wants this or that Um, but as we have evolved and had two different generations come through um, working on that third we are really noticing how normal it is to have many parts operating at once. And in psychology, we have internal family systems that sort of paved that way. And it says that we have feelings that, you know, poke at the self and make it uncomfortable. And another part of us activates these managers that try to control or deal with what we're feeling to protect ourselves. And usually if those managers are very ego-driven, it only amounts to sabotage, you know. So when we realize we can't control the external environment, it's frustrating and we feel trapped maybe. And that's when we drink about it or we play video games for hours about it or we have affairs or we gamble our money away and we do all this stupid stuff that wouldn't possibly help our situation. And yet what we're seeking is joy, in a joyless situation. So bad ideas, but same goal, right? To try somehow to get happy. But another theory is transactional analysis. That's another psychological theory that says, of course, we have parts. And yes, we have our childhood self that we always have some kind of access to or other people have access to it by triggering us. And that child will become an adult by default, You know, all you have to do is age. Uh, If you live, you age, and boom, you're an adult. And your adult self is often a reflection of that part of you from your childhood. And, of course, your goal is to break through and get to your authentic, genuine self and do some self-creation so that you can face the world more wisely. And those are three different parts, your child self, your adult self, and then your authentic, genuine self. And... Another theory is Gestalt psychology, an old German psychologist who talked about the conflict within. He said between at least two parts of the self, 
we can notice the conflicts that people have within themselves. And he did something called the empty chair technique where he would have his clients sit in one chair and say something to their self in the empty chair. And then they would have to switch and answer themselves back. And what was happening in that therapy is that people started to really notice their internal dialogue and how they talk to themselves and what a battle that it can be. And so, again, I'm just trying to highlight that I understand there is this stigma to self-love, but for first responders, if you are worried about it being selfish, narcissistic, a burden, that there's no benefit, that you really don't have to acknowledge all the different parts of yourself, well, then this is part of the reason why I see you struggling. So we really need to open up and notice um, what's going on with our own psychology so that we can understand it. And of course, understanding it can allow us to have compassion and love for it. But I also want to talk about um, psychoanalysis. Um, I almost forgot to mention that theory and the different parts where Freud had talked about having an id, an ego, and a superego. And so, you know, Freud was an interesting guy. I always say he said you wanted to bang one of your parents, usually the opposite sex, and he did cocaine. And, you know, what a crazy mess all of that was. But when he talked about the id and how out of control it could be, I thought that was a significant observation. And I like to compare that to um, the part of me that would be hungry And even if I had no money, I would go into a grocery store and I would take that apple off the cart and I would just start eating it because my id would say, my hunger justifies this behavior. You know, that's the part of me that's just going to try to satisfy or meet my needs. And my ego would want to protect the id because she's, you know, off the hook. (laughs) So the ego is kind of defensive and manipulative. That part of me would say, Sarah, go out in the parking lot and eat the apple. Don't do it here. You're going to get in trouble. So I love that part of myself. She's trying to protect me, but she's also encouraging me to be defensive and manipulative. So... The other part of me, the superego, which I feel all first responders give too much credit for, um, is the part of me that would say, hey, asshole, you want some apples? Get a job. You can buy all the apples you want if you're hungry. And while that sounds very moral or ethical and respectable, um, it's still your ego. Like it's still a part of you that's trying to defend yourself. And in our culture, that breeds this idea of follow all my rules and you will be satisfied or happy. And I don't know about you, but I've read about a thousand articles about how to get happy. And it tells you here's one through seven, here's one through 15, here's a book, here's another self help book. Here, let me refer you to this next book. And I'm like, it can't, it just can't be that difficult. We can't have it be this difficult. I think we just need to notice that we have some head knowledge and some heart knowledge, as I mentioned before. I'm just, I'm aware I have an ego and I have a self. Both of them are rooting for me, um, but I need to pay attention to them because they will always lean. The mind, which is the head and heart, is always going to lean. In fact, it can bend and it can even break. And it becomes your job to notice when you come out of alignment and to notice that that's nothing to punish yourself about, that's nothing to worry about. It's just that you need to notice that you can be at the fulcrum 
right? So if you picture uh, like a teeter-totter at the fulcrum, it still rocks and it's a little crazy because life is unstable like that. We're just always in motion. But when you notice that you have leaned, you want to come back into that alignment at the fulcrum. If you bend, definitely that's a warning sign that you need to come back into alignment and be in balance as best you can at the fulcrum. But of course, when people break, then, you know, that's another level of intervention. But noticing all these parts of ourself and how they relate to the world is significantly important to fight this self-love stigma because once you understand it there is no stigma and we need to understand that life will always be one of three things pleasant unpleasant or neutral that's just how it goes and if you really listened to that pleasant unpleasant neutral only one third of our life is pleasant and it's very fleeting right? I am pretty sure that no one has had 24 hours of some blissed out state, right? That's just not going to happen. And I mean, unless you have some kind of assistance of a drug, but I don't think that's very authentic. So we seek to be, you know, in a pleasant state all of the time, uh, whether we do it through wine or the divine, as one of my favorite authors says, his name is uh, Satguru, which means, you know, I'm not a special instructor. I'm just someone who understands things. But we seek out this pleasant in the wine or divine, as he says, and we stop realizing that our instruction from the outside is not really what's going to cure us. So even listening to me right now is kind of silly because everything I'm talking about should be recognized as a knowledge you already knew, that you already understood, that this isn't anything super profound. Um, I just want you to go within, of course, and learn to make the wise choice because in a world where there's pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral experiences, you only have two choices really. And you can be wise or unwise. And when you're unwise, you must remember that that's not wrong and it's not bad. It's just human. And when you do something unwise, the idea is to notice that so that you can learn, grow, and develop from it. Um, one way that could really help you do this so that you can love yourself better so that there is no stigma to self-care and self-love is to be in a state of non-reaction which is just a nice gentle pause so that you can notice and become self-aware and really recognize what's going on within you so that you can make a choice that is wise that does preserve the integrity of who you are of course the other thing that helps that is to be in a state of non-judgment of all your parts so in the last podcast, I talked about my tree instead of um, a lack of self-love, right? So my tree means loving kindness for oneself. And self-love in a non-judgmental way is going to be significantly important. When I notice that an issue from my childhood comes up, I'm not going to judge that and call it stupid or I'm not going to ignore, deny, minimize, and numb it out if an issue comes up because an emotion rised to the surface and I felt the feeling 
and the felt sense of that. I'm not going to judge it. I'm just going to say, well, that's true. That's what happened. How could I deny it? It's what is. Um, and the other helpful tip other than non-reaction and non-judgment to yourself is to have non-attachment. Now, in psychology, this can be kind of confusing because attachment in psychology means relationships. But non-attachment in Buddhist psychology says don't cling to things. You know, you can't not let shit go. There are some things that we can let go. And when we allow ourselves to evolve, grow, develop as a human being, that means we're always going to be leaving the previous state, right? So a seed becomes a sprout, becomes a plant, maybe becomes a sturdy oak, you know, tree or something like this. You have to be able to let go of the previous phase to get to the next one. So again, all we're asking ourselves to do is this gentle push in the direction that you naturally want to grow anyway. So how do we love the self, right? How do we love the self? Um, I want to take a moment to notice an idea. Um, One, life does not end with survival of the fittest for us. So remember a little bit earlier in this podcast, I said, An animal can have a full belly, and that's a great day. Um, But for a human being, it doesn't end there. So as the saying goes, um, life does not end with survival of the fittest. It's where it begins. When a human being has finally survived, right, now it gets a little more complicated because we seek to be happy, healthy, safe, and free as well. Um, But how do we do that? Uh, We need a reminder. And again, we need to get to know all of our parts, and we have to be in some acceptance of them uh, in order to understand them and to heal them if they need healing or consider them when we need to consider them. But another thing that we need to do is forgive ourselves. And people don't forgive themselves very easily. Um, I define forgiveness as losing all hope. You have to lose all hope that you can rewrite the past. In that brief moment where you comprehend that sentence, you'll get an idea of what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not a one-and-done process. It's an on-and-off process that can go on for years and years and years. And we have good days with it and we have bad days with it. Um, I know that in the past you may have learned to try to forgive and forget, but the psychology of that is damn near impossible. Um, But if you can lose all hope that something in the future would happen to change what happened in the past, then you're starting to grasp this idea of forgiving yourself. And when you can forgive yourself and hold yourself in an unconditional positive regard, which is an idea from Carl Rogers, then I think we're starting to get closer to where we want to go. So an unconditional positive regard is an acceptance. It's, it's knowing your own value and your own worth and knowing your own significance, right? It's being able to hold space for yourself, which is being very present with yourself in a physical, mental, emotional way. And of course, we can hold space for other people. Today, I really want you to just focus on treating yourself with respect and compassion, 
by allowing forgiveness, allowing the unconditional positive regard, by allowing the holding of space. And that usually will translate to this neat path, these four steps, let's say. I don't think there's steps, but there's four concepts I want to talk about, which means, um, well, maybe not what it means, but let me define it. So we want you to feel very safe, secure, love, and acceptance. So what is that? If you are forgiving yourself and you have unconditional positive regard for yourself and you're willing to hold space for all the different parts of you that you notice and want to understand and treat with integrity and respect, then that's very safe. Safe means do no harm. And when you provide that safe place for yourself, within yourself, that creates a lot of security. And that security needs to be consistent. You can't offend yourself on the weekend and then try to put yourself back together through your week. Um, Your security needs to be very consistent. When you have safety and security, you will feel a tremendous amount of love, right? And that's a very pleasant inner state. And it's it's naturally... um, such a pleasant period of time and space for oneself, but we often don't allow it. Some of us don't even know how to define love. Um, In the last podcast, I said God is love, love is God. But to maybe be more specific, um, I define it as a deep sense of pleasantness within myself and outside of myself. And what's funny is if we ask, you know, a psychology textbook or if we check on google right what's the definition of love it talks about all this pleasure and emotion and maybe some other things that i'm just not familiar with because i don't define love that way but to acknowledge love as a deep sense of pleasantness within and without or outside of oneself I think is is just a beautiful concept and way to understand what we're going for here. So again, to review these four words, I need to create safety. I need to be the safest place that I can turn to. And I need to securely and consistently do that so that I actually feel the self-love for myself. When I do that, I will actually start to experience acceptance of myself, which means I'm able to receive right and consent without rejection who I am uh, like who is the Sarah and I want that for yourself because it it really allows so much clarity and that clear seeing is what helps us stay in alignment so that we aren't leaning bending or breaking So again, I'm going to say how important it is to promote yourself to human status As an earthling on earth, you are going to have to truly promote yourself to human status, love yourself in order to create some comfort and even happiness or joy in your life. And um, this isn't scripture. It isn't science, right? Once again, this is stuff that I hope and believe that you already know that when you listen to me talk about this, that it kind of feels like, well, yeah, duh, Sarah. The only problem is that, are you getting the outcome? If you understand it so well, if you agree with it so much, can you somehow get this natural outcome to happen? Um, And of course, that completely depends on you. But I also want to mention that 
it's not just your fault, you know, that we struggle with self-love and that we misunderstand it so much. Again, especially for the first responder culture, um, we may think that this is a kumbaya path and we don't need it or we're tough and, you know, it's not necessary. But living in a culture that is so uncertain and so fearful of self-love, to me, says enough. Um, We have to get through this stigma and this bad rap and we do it by starting with ourselves so if we don't of course maybe I should mention this if you don't love yourself it's going to serve a lot of people um, if you don't love yourself um, it's easy to take advantage of you because um, you don't know your worth you don't know your value you don't think you're deserving of certain things you may not even think you're good enough And you might feel limited and stuck because of that. But if you don't love yourself, you take yourself out of the race and the competition big time. I mean, no love for the mind, body, spirit, your health, money, your shelter, your food, your happiness, your comfort means then you're up for grabs and game. And I I don't know about you, but I don't want that for myself. Um, No love for yourself, of course, means more love for other people and more resources for other people. And there's a part of me that says, well, I'll take the raise, I'll take the promotion, I'll take the happy and I'll take the family and the healthy functioning kids and the, and the good house that I love or the car that works for me and et cetera. I mean, I know those are all material things, but, and there's no need to overdo material things, but we have to realize that comfort does give us a lot of happiness. And while money doesn't buy happiness, money does afford the comfort that we're looking for. But maybe that's another conversation. The idea is that you are going to have to love yourself in order to have those very basic resources working for you instead of against you. And one of the reasons people come into therapy is their resources, whether it's their job, their money, their relationships or whatever, it's all working against them. And what's really crazy is we in this particular generation are the most comfortable generation on the planet. And specifically, if you're listening to this podcast, I know there are other people suffering, but you are one of the most comfortable people on the planet. And yet you're, you're not filled with love and joy and peacefulness. So what, what the hell is with that? Like, doesn't anybody want to question that a little bit? Um, so I think if you want to buy into this idea that loving yourself is something bad, then you're just going to age with despair instead of integrity, like I mentioned before. And I don't, I really don't want that for you. And of course, I I have it in mind maybe for another podcast to talk about the developmental stages because Eric Erickson is the psychologist who said we have to get through these different developmental stages so that when we are facing death, if we are very conscious about it um, and dying in old age about it, we can feel the integrity of our lives instead of despair. Now, when a lot of people face their deathbed, they might be scared. They may not want to die. They may say things like, I want another opportunity or I want the chance to go back and make a wrong a right, but you can't do that, especially if you're on your deathbed. So the hope is that you live your life in such a way that you definitely feel the integrity of your choices. But at the base of that, the very beginning of that, 
the mobility to get to that point in your life is going to be generated by love. That's your number one most creative, powerful force. So in the meantime, right, we want to start evolving into a space where you can love yourself and hold yourself in unconditional positive regard and to consistently make choices that move you into the stillness of who you are or the truth of who you are. And if you just take a moment to ask, like, what is your truth, right? We would realize that the way out of all of this bullshit that you're surrounded in is to go inward. I'll say that again. The way out is in. And when you go in, if you remember from the past podcast, I mentioned pratyahara, which is we withdraw from the external world and our senses and we turn inward so that we can notice everything. When we go in and we start with love and gratitude, kindness, compassion, and wisdom for all our parts, that's when this stigma against self-love becomes so non-important, maybe even non-existent to you. And so I definitely want everyone to realize that we're all working for the same thing, right? Everything in your life is for one small idea, which is to be joyful, right? To live a life and then to fall dead, uh, noticing that you had a joyful life. And isn't that funny that that is the same as a worm (laughs) or a bear or a dog or a goat, an elephant, a shark, whatever. Um, We all have to live and we all have to die. And the hope is that we have more pleasant days and pleasant experiences than not. But that is an impossible request because we have pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral coming at us at all times. And so with those different dynamics happening to us, I always have to encourage you to watch what are you doing because whatever you're doing is what you're going to be. And what better thing to be than love? I mean, truly, um, we have to get rid of the self-love stigma. We have to see a self-care path as necessary, especially in a bunch of careers that deal with human illness, death, suffering, stupidity, and property destruction, not to mention the politics and the bullshit and the very unpleasant things and people that we encounter. So I, as always, want to remind everyone um, that my name is Sarah Gura, and I want to thank you again for listening to First Responder Psychological Support. I am a licensed clinical professional counselor for first responders at the Self-Care Path in Burr Ridge, Illinois. And please consider doing life so it doesn't do you and take good care of yourself. And as always, stay very safe.